This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Hope you're, you're staying safe and keeping the faith. Welcome to another episode of the Flagship Podcast. I am joined, as always, by the managing editor of Horns 24-7. We call her T-Bone because, well, she was the youngest and the punching bag of a baseball-playing family. Uh, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how you doing? I'm doing great, Chip. How about you? Are you staying sane? I'm staying sane. Hopefully, I'm um, staying safe. I mean, <laughs> you go to the grocery store, and now there's, like, plastic shields around the cashiers, which I'm happy about. Right. For their sake. Good heavens. They're, like, risking their lives. But now everyone's got masks, homemade masks, and I'm, I go into the store with my wipes. I'm, like, wiping everything. I mean, good heavens. Uh, so I'm trying to stay safe, you know? Yeah. Trying to be OCD about this stuff. And and hopefully we're getting some good news that this that the curve is flattening and all this in in home sheltering in place uh, is working. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I actually went to the grocery store because my husband's been kind of handling the grocery shopping. Um, I think he feels... Because, you know, earlier, or, you know, it's been a number of months now, but I was on antibiotics for so many months after I had my scooter accident. Like I had two staph infections, right. had another infection, all within like a three-month span where I was on antibiotics for over a month. My doctors were already telling me I got to make sure to be like loading up on everything possible, probiotics, vitamin C, everything to try to like strengthen my immune system. So I think my husband's a little bit concerned still. I think it's probably a little too concerned with me, but he's been the only one that has gone. But he told me the last time he got back from HEB over the weekend, he said that they expanded the screens. Cause last time I went to the store, there was one of those shields, you know, in front of the cashiers, but that was it. And apparently the HEB by our house now has a shield for both the cashier and the bagging person too where that wasn't the last time. So that, I, I thought that was really interesting. But he said that more more people probably than not were wearing gloves and masks when he went over the weekend. So at least people are taking it serious. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a different world. It's a different world out there. But uh, what are you doing in the house? Like, everybody's binge-watching stuff. I'm, I'm hooked on Ozark. I'm just finishing season one. And, and so, you know, I'm all in on that. I watched the boys, which is on Amazon prime about these corporate superheroes, um, who are highly flawed, I guess would be the best way to describe it. It was okay. It's not as good as Ozark. 
just going to say. Of course, I watched Tiger King. How about you, Taylor Astis? So uh, I had watched Tiger King before it kind of went crazy because my, my um, husband, like he likes watching weird documentaries. And so he was like, I kind of want to watch this. And it took me a little bit to get into that one. But then with so many different twists and turns, it was just like, okay, well, let's see what the next episode has. Okay, let's, now we definitely have to watch the rest. <laughs> you know? So we definitely watched that. Otherwise, I did a puzzle. Um, wow. Yeah, it was not a fun one either. It was only 500 pieces. But it was a, the only one that we could find in the store. And it was the movie poster for E.T. And so basically all the colors were about the same shade. It was lighter blue, like, yeah, like light blue, dark blue, black, and then the moon. And that was pretty much it. So, I mean, it was one of those where it was my, my greatest enemy that I had to defeat. I couldn't give up because I was just like, you SOB, you know, it was getting to me. So I did finish that. But now I don't want, I don't know what to do with it. Cause I'm like, I don't even want to, I'm never going to put it together again. Do I, you know, have you, have you ever uh, glued a puzzle before? I've never done that. Oh, wow. No. Yeah. Cause we have a movie room. So we're like, oh, we can maybe use it as like a picture, you know, put it in a frame or something. Oh, I never nice. go up there anyway, but I've never done that. So I feel like that's just going to be a big mess if I do try. Well, Hey, you got nothing but uh, time to clean up the mess. So that's true. Give it a shot. That is very, very true. Well, Chip, there was some uh, big breaking news that uh, you and Bobby Burton of Horns 24-7, our publisher, who's actually going to be joining us here on the flagship podcast this week. Um, but the both of you had checked in with some sources and broke the story late Monday night that University of Texas President Greg Fendez will leave Texas to accept a job at Emory University. Chip, what is what you were hearing behind the scenes with that whole situation? Yeah, so, you know, Greg Fenvis, who, gosh, in my opinion, was a breath of fresh air coming in after Bill Powers, who was such a, a polarizing, um, you know, political... Um, president at Texas and it and that was a really dark time when he was finishing up his presidency because uh, that was when Mac Brown and and Delos Dodds got basically fired Game of Thrones style and Steve Patterson came in it was just kind of a nightmare and then um, you know when Greg Fenvis took over as president one of the first things he did was fire Steve Patterson which was great because that guy was the agent of death for for Texas athletics, probably set athletics here back at least um, three to five years with the hires of Charlie Strong and Shaka Smart, maybe maybe longer. But um, you know, Greg Fenvis brought order to the court, and then he he hired Chris Del Conte, which I've said over and over again was the best possible hire that Texas could have made and Texas should be thankful every day that Chris Del Conte is the athletic director because the guy can raise money. He's good with people. He, he gets it. And all you need to do is look at all the cranes outside of the, uh, you know, DKR and, and all the facilities and construction projects going on to know that. So, um, you know, I'm told Fenvis got a great offer from Emory he makes about $945,000 as the president of Texas. I've heard they doubled it. 
Texas won't do that because um, they're a public school. They get a lot of heat from the legislators about their budget, and it was it was actually a big deal to take Fenvis from seven hundred fifty thousand to nine hundred forty five thousand. But I'm also hearing that Fenvis uh, felt like maybe it was just the right time that with the new uh, Chancellor James B. Um, Milliken, uh, that, you know, there was, you know, just maybe a sense that it was time. I mean, I guess that's really all I can say. I don't think there's a real smoking gun here, but university presidencies are tricky, especially at a place like Texas where you've got the Board of Regents, they have their own uh, agenda. You've got the chancellor who... Um, you know, depending on the size of the ambition of that chancellor uh, has his or her own agenda. And and Fenvis has always been seen as a, a more liberal-leaning president at a time where, um, you know, there's more of a conservative influence on the board. And and so, you know, it's it's tricky. And the, I think the last thing Texas needs right now is is more change in leadership because we really just got through it all. I mean, you had chancellors changing. We went from Cigaroa to McRaven. Then we then McRaven. I mean, my gosh, the guy got Bin Laden, but he couldn't survive as the chancellor at Texas because he didn't he didn't you know go to the border regions for permission to do things. He bought the 300-acre parcel of land in Houston um, for for the University of Texas for for a UT campus in Houston. That did not go well with Houston lawmakers who were like, "What?" and and they breathed fire onto the regents. The regents breathed fire onto McRaven, and he's not the chancellor anymore. So in comes Milliken, and then meanwhile you had the the Bill Powers. Um, you know, the end of his tenure with Mac and Delos getting fired Game of Thrones style. And and then, you know, in comes um, Mike Perrin is the interim athletic director. And God bless Mike Perrin, but he got every baseball coach a raise and, and gave Shaka Smart a two-year contract extension after just one season. And that's why Shaka is going on year six with a $10.5 million buyout. Right. So it was... You know, it, things were finally stabilizing, and and certainly Fenvis and and Del Conte saw eye to eye. I mean, my gosh, you don't get 760 million in facilities projects approved and going without harmony between the president and the athletic director. So you just want, for athletics' sake, for the world that we operate in, you just want harmony there because the athletic director needs to feel like they're supported. And and then the coaches need to feel like they're supported. I mean, Tom Herman said it when he came in. Administrations win championships. Right. And, you know, they got to they got to put the money out. They got to do it, uh, make the commitment like Texas is finally doing. I mean, what Del Conte said, our facilities did not say championships. They said 1970s. Right. And, and so now they're building facilities that will say championships. We're about championships. And. And I think if you're you're Texas or a Texas fan, you just want that harmony, um, because look, 
Del Conte, USC came for him. I mean, they they made a big offer. They they threw around some money, and that's when Del Conte got his raise here at Texas, and it's deserved. I mean, the guy's one of the you know three four best athletic directors in the country, maybe the best. I think he and Joe Castiglione at OU, but I think we're also seeing Taylor. I know I'm rambling on here, but I think we're also seeing with his hires. You know, this week he hires Vic Schaefer that he goes out and he hires people who are about championships. Right. Mike White and Edric Florial, um, Bruce Burke for men's tennis already has a national championship. He, you know, after taking over for center last year, and then Vic Schaefer's been to the national championship game twice. He knows the road to get there, and um, you know, we'll talk about Vic Schaefer a little bit later. But wow, was I impressed with him mm-hmm. uh, this week? So, you know, he just wants stability in the leadership, and and I think that that's that's the kind of cringe right now. Right. Like, uh oh, now we're back into uncertainty. And you would think that a president would be brought in that would also maintain harmony. And, um, but you just don't know until that person uh, gets into to place because look, ego is, is a big deal. It, it, you don't want it to be, but it can be. We've seen it over and over again at the University of Texas. You just want, People who are about the mission and not about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's been a number of those people, as you had mentioned, I think Steve Patterson might be the oh. top of the list of the all about me. I mean, some of the stories I uh, had talked to some people who um, either worked for him in the athletic department or had people that they were close with that worked for him. And some of the stories that I was told off the record are just absolutely jaw-dropping, astounding. You know, just things like missing meetings and then blaming somebody else because he didn't get take the right path to get there, just no-showed for meetings. I mean, crazy things like this. And it's like, okay, just show up late for a meeting. Why would you just no-show, you know? Right, show up uh, late for a meeting with people who wanted to give you millions of dollars yes. to help your – um, athletic department. And I mean, it's unbelievable. Your, your stories I'm sure are right in line with the stuff that, that I've heard. I mean, this guy, I don't know how he ever got into a position of authority. Like I went back and talked to people with the Texans cause mm-hmm. he takes, you know, he, he promotes his consulting, uh, company as the, you need a stadium built. I'm your guy. And so you know, again and again, Steve Patterson gets hired as a consultant about building stadiums. And I mean, the guy, Oliver Luck had more to do with helping um, Reliant Stadium get built in Houston than Steve Patterson, if you talk to people with the Texans. So it's just, that was a horrible time. And, and Texas just needs to keep moving forward like they are right now. Yeah, and I do think the one good thing, and you had touched on this too with Greg Fendez that he did, that everybody I think should take away with, and whoever is the new president, if they have a brain in their head, they're going to know how important supporting the athletics department is, especially football, considering Texas is usually one of the most profitable and uh, highest revenue producing football programs in the entire country. But bringing in Chris Del Conte was so huge that I feel 
and maybe, I don't know, Chip, maybe you and I are just outsiders. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors with the meetings with Crystal Conte. But I feel like his impact and his vision, just in, you know, from the facility standpoint, and then even to just changing the whole football game day atmosphere. I mean, it's night and day different than what it was prior to his arrival. And I feel like you have to be intentionally turning a blind eye to that situation and seeing the success of it, um, turning a blind eye to that, to not consider if you're in the position to hire the next university president, that they need to make sure to be in line with the athletic director, because that's the cash cow. I mean, it, it is, you know, I mean, uh, the football program alone basically supports the entire athletic department. And that's a significant burden that's taken off the shoulders of the university itself. And so I feel I feel like people at Texas have to be smart, right? At this point, after what has gone down over the years, they have to realize that they're it ha- like one of the, in, in my opinion, the top type of, um, you know, um, top type of a job requirement is making sure that they have a history of being at a program that has a, a successful athletics department, especially from football. Do you, do you agree? Am I wrong? What do you think? No, no you're right. And that's, uh, that is paramount. And, and let's, uh, let's see, let's see if lessons, you know, you gotta, you gotta learn from your past. Don't make the same mistakes twice. And, um, and I, I bet they come out with uh, the right leadership here. Yeah. And, and I, I think Del Conte, look, you know, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I, I guess t- the time is right now to, to mention it. Look, when Steve Patterson was the athletic director, Chris Plonsky was basically running the athletic department. Right. And, and I've written about this ad nauseum. Chris and I have sort of buried the hatchet. But at that time, uh, Chris was – she was out of control. I mean – she was, you know, running off student athletes if they had any kind of issue, not helping them, just, okay, they need to go. And, and some of the transfers in the women's basketball program, it's hard not to think that that stuff stems t- from the mentality of, of Chris Plonsky. And, you know, I'm not going to go, you know, absolutely all out right there, but that program was Going, going, and then it just went off the cliff. And and I've heard Karen Aston is fine with not being here anymore. That she wanted a fresh start because she felt like you know, Chris Plonsky and Jody Conrad were hovering over the program. What Chris Del Conte just did in hiring Vic Schaefer was he hired his own coach. Mm-hmm. And that coach is going to report to... Chris Del Conte, Karen Aston always reported to Chris Plotsky, no matter what. Right. And that it wasn't healthy. And um, look, Chris Plotsky's good at big picture vision, college athletics. Where is it going? What should we anticipate? She's terrible at managing people. Terrible. So that is a huge relief. It should be a huge relief to Texas Longhorns fans, that Vic Schaefer's going to come in. First of all, the guy embodies everything you want. Toughness, discipline, culture, a burning hot uh, intensity, wants to win. And and I uh, talked to Scott Strickland, who hired 
Vic Schaefer at Mississippi State this week, and Jackie Sherrill, who coached football at Mississippi State and at A&M, knew Vic Schaefer, recommended him to Scott Strickland, didn't even know Scott Strickland, um, and recommended Vic Schaefer because Jackie Sherrill told me the guy takes three-star talent, turns it into five-star talent, and and gets buy-in from his players and gets them to do things they don't want to do to get the results they didn't think they could do. Mm-hmm. And and that's what you want. And that's, um, you know, that's the these are the kind of hires that are being made now. This this is a good time for Texas. They're you get the feeling that once Shaka Smart, uh, in my opinion, moves on. And we'll see what Tom Herman does with this new coaching staff. But it gives you confidence that Chris Del Conte, when when or if he has to make those big revenue coaching decisions, is going to get it right. Yeah. There's no reason to think otherwise. I mean, look at look at the job he did at TCU. That's not a monster. That's not a major, you know, program at all. I mean, how many students are at there? It's a small private school. Right. And he turned that out. He helped, you know, by finding the right coaches, the right leadership, everything, making sure they have proper facilities to be competitive with their competition, moving them to the Big 12. I mean, he was involved in a lot of the significant, in my opinion, um, decisions at TCU that really helped build that into more of a closer to a national brand than just a small private school. Absolutely. I went to SMU and I would I would send my kid to TCU mm-hmm. because TCU is in the Big 12. They're a they're a power five program and they have performed like it. And a lot of it is because of what you just said, because Del Conte made the right hires there. And and he has, you know, Gary Patterson in football and um, Jamie Dixon in basketball and Jim Schlossnagel in baseball. And those programs are are competitive again. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that's, you know, we can only judge people based off of what they've done and what Chris Del Conte done has got stuff done, you know. So when it comes to finding new coaches and stuff, Chip, there's no reason, even Texas fans at this point, even though he's made a select few hires, look at Mike White. I mean, this, this softball program was literally on its way to potentially a historic season before the coronavirus pandemic shutdown of college athletics, but look at what that, that turnaround happened in almost instantly, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, uh, the proof of the pudding is in the eating as they like to say. And, uh, there's really at this point, no, no reason to doubt Crystal Conte. Yep. I agree. So Chip, some other, some other news, uh, before we get to Bobby here to get his take on that. And then what we're going to talk about here too is, uh, Texas offensive lineman Denzel Okafor, who will be entering his redshirt senior season. He had uh, entered the NCAA transfer portal back in March. This week, it was announced that he, uh, or you reported that he had withdrew his name from the portal. How big of a win is this for Texas? I think it's, I think it's significant because, um, you know, everything I've been hearing uh, about Denzel Okafor in the winter conditioning program, everything was that he was working really well, carrying himself with a lot of confidence, and and that's been the thing. I mean, the big thing with Denzel Okafor is he gives you flashes. He gives you really powerful, strong flashes, and then 
and then there's inconsistency and the technique breaks down and and this is it i mean it, the the window's there for him and and look depth wise they need him because he does know what to do mm-hmm. and and look they've had worse offensive linemen I mean, go back to 2009 in that group that went to the national championship game, and and Denzel Okafor can he he can help you win. So that's a guy with that kind of experience that they needed. And I said immediately after he showed up in the portal that the coaches were working to get him out of there and and to stay tuned on this. So uh, I think that's a win. For, for Herb Hand, for Tom Herman, for Yancey McKnight, the, the guys who were really working on him to, to stay and not go be a grad transfer somewhere else. So, um, you know, I think you look at the two vacancies on the offensive line. You're, you've got Denzel Okafor, who can play either guard or tackle. You've got, um, you've got Christian Jones, who the coaches really like and feel like he should really push uh, for a starting spot, which he he could end up being the right tackle and Denzel Okafor, the right guard, but they really are fascinated with Willie Tyler, the six seven, three hundred forty pound athlete, just like raw, has all the tools, just needs to get his technique down. The junior college transfer, with uh, you know three years of eligibility, so they really want to see him in in that guard position too. And and then, you know, Tope Amade. I mean, Tope Amade's waited his turn. He's a he's a road grader. His feet are not fantastic in pass protection, but the guy is a great run blocker and and he'll be in the mix too. So and Tyler Johnson, who you know, the five star who it really they see as the heir apparent to Sam Cosby on the left side, but look, if he's one of the five best offensive linemen right now, get him on the field. Oh yeah. I mean, the openings are there at this point. And, um, and flipped Cosme. Cosme played right tackle, and then when Connor Williams moved on, he mm-hmm. flipped over to left. Yeah. It'll definitely be interesting, but this, I mean, if, if Denzel, Denzel Okafor is ever going to make an impact, it's now. You know, I mean, he's been around for far too long, I think, at this point, to not be in the mix for at least heavy playing time, if not a starting role. Um, and, you know, I mean, I guess only time will tell, but I definitely think it doesn't hurt Texas to have as many bodies as possible on the offensive line because we have witnessed covering this team over the last um, few years prior to Tom Herman's arrival, there wasn't depth. I mean, Tristan Nicholson, no offense, probably should have never had a scholarship to the University of Texas. Tristan and I <laughs> I don't know if anybody can tell me anything otherwise that would make me believe that I am wrong, except for if you want to look at just his size, sure, okay, just look at his measurements, all right, but my gosh, I mean. No, that- I got you, I got you. <laughs> you know, so Nicholson, so they're, you know, and, and Tristan gave it all he had, but yeah. you're right, I mean, look, you've got to win up front, you've got to win up front, you've got to have players up front who are athletic, physical, great feet, and can, you know, zone scheme, man, gap, 
whatever. I mean, yes. Yeah. I hear where you're coming from. The big ugly's got to be there on both sides of the ball, too. Right, I mean, for sure. Yeah, I mean, last week, ESPN re-aired the 2006 BCS National Championship game between USC and Texas when Texas uh, upset the mighty Trojans there. And that, I mean, I, I can't tell you that there's been a time in my career covering Texas where I have seen the lines as solid as those the Texas had on offense and defense in that game. Yeah, I mean... Vince Young never sacked in that game. Mm-hmm. That offensive line, I mean, Lyle Senline at center was so good. Casey Stuttered, Will Allen, I mean, Jonathan Scott, Justin Blaylock, and that's that's where they're that's where they're getting. That's where they're you know with Sam Cosme and and Junior Angelau, I think is going to blossom into an All Conference type player. Derek Kerstetter is one of the most versatile. He can certainly help you at the center position and then you know let's see who who steps up because there's talent there i mean tyler johnson christian jones these are guys who are going to start games either this year or next year um same with willie tyler i mean they think he's special so and isaiah hookfin i mean they feel like he's a year away but they they like him they expect him to be in the mix after um after this year so that's what you want. You want to have airplanes on the runway waiting to take off so that if, if one player has to come out of the game, boom, you bring in someone else who can maintain the same level or, or maybe even take it up. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and so one other thing before we go to Bobby here, Chip, you had a great story that I feel like you need to get some recognition for. Um, earlier this week, you had put out a story about Tom Herman and his giving during this coronavirus pandemic. Now, as we had spoken to Herman last week for the first time since the Big 12 uplifted its restrictions, allowing teams now to do virtual team meetings for up to two hours a week, Tom Herman showed a little bit more of a human side, not saying that he doesn't do that often, but you know, it, it just seemed very compassionate, and it's not often that we have seen that side of Tom Herman since he was hired as Texas head coach. But you dove even further into the mix, got exclusive quotes from Tom Herman uh, himself about how this coronavirus pandemic that is continuing to go on has really hit home with him because of his uh you know, adversity-filled childhood with a father who ended up becoming homeless, um, and then with his, you know, connections with different people who have been victims of uh, domestic violence and domestic abuse. You know, Chip, your story from Tom Herman's approach is really interesting. What did you think was the the most significant thing that he told you in your one-on-one with him about, you know, his giving efforts right now? Well, I thought it was, um, first of all, I give him credit for opening up about his dad because I knew about his dad and the fact that he had, um, you know, he was an alcoholic who um, I don't think a lot of people knew the homeless part of it. And, and so his mom, Rita, who raised Tom, basically, he's an only child and, 
And so she raised him in California after she moved out from Tom's dad, Tom Joseph Herman Jr. in Cincinnati. And so they were off in California um, and and Tom witnessed some domestic violence in relation in a relationship that Tom's mom had after his father. And and so that was one of the um, one of the organizations that Tom and Michelle Herman gave to in this in this time um, was Safe Alliance, which stands up against domestic violence. And um, but then, you know, his his relationship with his dad was just like flashes of time because he would go back to Cincinnati for for a few weeks in the summer to spend time with his dad. And you know, he basically told me when his dad was sober, it was great. But when he wasn't, it was scary. And, and so his dad ultimately moved to California to be near Tom when he was in high school playing football. And, and his dad embarrassed him um, on more than one occasion because he was in and out of rehab facilities and that was the first time that he became homeless. And and so basically Tom and Michelle, there were times where they had to try to find him to feed him. And and they begged one of, um, you know, his relatives, his his Tom's dad's relatives to take him in. They did. But then he ultimately, you know, sort of. um drank himself out of those relationships and was homeless again. And so it was when Tom and Michelle were at Sam Houston state in the early two thousands, right after Tom was a GA at Texas that he was sending 10, you know, he's paying a shelter $10 a day in Cincinnati to feed his dad and give him a cot in the shelter. And that's where his dad died, um, drank himself to death at the age of 52. And so Tom in choosing, Tom and Michelle chose to give um, money to Safe Steps, which is, you know, helps the uh, homeless and um, provides, or sorry, Front Steps and um, and provides meals and and looks out for them. Um, the um, Central Texas Food Bank and Meals on Wheels. So, you know, it was a uh, it was. I just wanted to get the backstory as to why, why those, um, why those charities and, you know, they made a $10,000 contribution to each one and, and then also pledged to the UT, uh, student emergency fund. And so, um, I give Tom Herman credit for opening up on that. Yeah. And in total, based off of the um, organizations that he told you that they had given to, that's $50,000 that they've given within the, you know, a matter of weeks after this pandemic started. And I'd imagine that that will continue, but it's always good to see, um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, ter- a tragic story, you know, um, but it is always with any tragedy that you have in your life, I feel like you can use it to kind of learn from it, try to, you know, present a way to um, use your story to help other people or whatever it may be. And I feel like Tom Herman is doing that. And um, I give you credit too, Chip, because, you know, he he kind of, he touched on a little bit during the teleconference, but he didn't go into any detail about his family upbringing. He didn't 
go into detail about how much money they actually did give to these shelters and to these uh, charity organizations. Um, but you took the extra step to take the extra initiative to get the backstory. And it's, it's a story that I feel Texas fans have never heard of uh, when it comes to Tom Herman. You know, he's a, he's a character in himself in a sense, you know, not in a bad way. Just he's, he's a dynamic person, a dynamic figure in, in um, a prominent figure in college football. But there's been very little human, humane side of him. Do, do you agree? I mean, I feel like I feel like there's just right. No, he's a tough guy. And yeah, and he's the bad cop. He's the crazy eyed drill sergeant. And he's going to make sure that the culture is is burning hot. And and so, yeah, to see the human side of him, I, I thought was was good. And and it's there. So, you know, I, and I think he's getting in touch with it more. I mean, we heard him talk about having dinner with his whole family five nights in a row and that probably hadn't happened five times in the previous year. Right. And how he said, you know, I need to figure out a way when the day to day grind comes back to, to maintain some of this. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, it was, uh, I appreciated him opening up there. Right. Well, uh, on that, let's bring in horns, 24 seven publisher, Bobby Burton, who, uh, along with Chip and he, were the ones who broke the story about UT President Greg Fenves going to Emory University. And then also, let's get Bobby's take on the latest going on with Texas football in this new normal of virtual meetings and practices. So let's bring in Bobby Burton. The godfather, the publisher of Horns 24-7, was... uh instrumental in breaking the story about Greg Fenvis leaving the University of Texas to go to Emory, the one and only Bobby Burton. Bobby, how are you doing? Hey, good. How about you, Chip? Hey, you know, sheltering in place, playing more Uno with my 17-year-old son than I ever thought I'd play in my life. But, um, hey, there are worse things. Yeah. How about I, you? I, you know, um, we have a family game rotation here. So uh, basically we spin the wheel and whoever it lands on gets to pick the game. Oh, so like the, the one that's been landing on quite a bit lately is called Ticket to Ride. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but it's, no, uh, it's, a, it's, a, board game. it's a board game. And uh, you basically try to make train tracks across different areas of the United States and you get bonus points if you connect your trains. Nice. So, yeah. It's interesting. It's, you know, it's right up there with, it's very similar to Settlers of Catan, I think, in some ways. But anyways. So how many kids do you have at home now? I have two. A 16-year-old going on 24 and a uh, 13-year-old going on 13. So so your 16-year-old <laughs> is your daughter. Yes. And your 13-year-old yeah. is your son. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. He's, uh, he's an eighth grader and... Uh, headed to high school i think next year um so long as they have high school but that's that's where i'm at a junior literally just said to me i wish i had more work from school because i'm so bored i'm like oh my gosh please make sure that you've turned in every assignment he's like i may take the lsat online the lsat yeah he's they have practice tests online he's you you mean the psat 
No, the LSAT, because he th- he's thinking about going to law school. He just wants to see what that thing's like. What year is he? I thought he was, he was in high school. He's a junior in high school. <laughs> What's he want to take the LSAT? He I know. Be... Hey, Bobby, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not slowing that roll at all. Uh, I, I, I gotta tell you, my, my, so my daughter's like hyper competitive in academics, like stupid kind of hyper competitive, um, and she's all concerned about these subject tests in the SAT type stuff uh, right now. So she's math two and American literature and all this stuff, and I'm just like, okay. They didn't have that when I was around. <laughs> the, the AP tests. <laughs> yeah, no, not these are. Yeah, the AP tests or something else. But she's uh she's got quite the. She doesn't have a problem filling her time. Um, my son has become like you know more good at video games though. That's the okay. that's the gig with him. Okay. I think so. We'll see how it all works out, right? Oh yes, it's uh, it's who knows and how how we're going to emerge from this and what changes are going to take place but we do know changes are coming at the university of texas greg fenvis is leaving bobby uh the president he's been the president for five years he's been at texas since 08 he's been there 12 years total he was the uh dean of the cockerel school of engineering um and then he was for five years and then he was the provost for two years and then president and you know the first thing that comes to mind in my opinion is the from from our perspectives athletics there was chemistry and alignment with greg fenvis and chris del conte uh with you know 760 million in facility upgrades that got greenlit and are underway and won't be completed until January of 22 that's when the basketball arena will open and the basketball practice facility but um your thoughts on Greg Fenvis uh he's going to leave at the end of or his last day is the end of June and he'll begin as president at Emory August 1st well I mean my my first thought is from a, a, a university level is what is the reasoning behind an apparent lateral move um and I know I think you said something like he just got made an offer too good to refuse. And he was making probably one million a year right at, at Texas. Right. Is that correct? Nine hundred forty thousand. So, yeah. So, you know, that that's entirely possible. You're talking about a guy that he gets offered two million a year and Texas doesn't want to go there. That's that can happen. So um, they, they make high enough that 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 kind of stuff can definitely matter. And he's in a situation where. Texas is not going to probably overpay for the position. And um, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know how to feel yet. Uh, but obviously Texas didn't try to keep him. If that makes sense. Um, if, if it really came down to money and no offense to anybody, Greg Finvis included, but if Texas is going to lose somebody over a million bucks, I don't think they're actually ever going to lose them, you know? Um, so there, there's that to consider, and and I don't really know the inner workings or the mechanisms, and machinations behind all of that, but it tells me something. You know, okay, you want to leave? That's fine. Let's let's move forward. And and uh, and frankly, you know, I would agree with you that the the question I immediately have is about athletics because I think the school is going to be fine, pretty much whoever they hire 
anything short of, you know, they're not going to hire some idiot most likely. So um, I, I think that from an athletics perspective, I think that Chris Del Conte has done such a nice job of marrying what Texas is and what Texas can be that I hate to see any sort of uh, hiccup in that category. So if I'm on the board of regents, if I'm the new president or if I'm the chancellor of the, of the system, I'm certainly reaching out to Chris Del Conte and trying to make sure that uh, he knows he has my ear and vice versa, you know? And so, uh, like I said, I think Del Conte's done this marvelous job of marrying what Texas is and what Texas can be, and perhaps has gotten that better than any athletic director at Texas ever, including DeLos Dodds. Doesn't mean he's been the best performing athletic director yet because all those championships haven't followed, but I, I just get that sense that he gets it. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, that's the key. I mean, the reason Chris Del Conte came to Texas was because the leadership had stabilized and, you know, the drama between Bill Powers and the Regents board had died down when Fenvis came in as president. Then we had the McRaven drama between, you know, McRaven and the Regents and the Regents won. McRaven went away. In comes James B. Milliken, who's been here uh, since 2018, but he's low-key. Um, he's not a look-at-me guy, but he apparently has strong opinions, and so it's going to be interesting to see how uh, what his influence is in terms of the you know where this goes and in, in the search for a new president. And Bobby, you uh, had the information on Monday night about. Jay Hartzell, the dean of the Macomb School of Business, as the likely uh, interim president at Texas uh, with when Fenvis is, um, you know, when he steps aside. Yeah, I mean, I think the board's supposed to meet tomorrow or meet Wednesday. Is that still a go as far as you know, Chip, or has that changed? Or I think that's the tentative plan. Okay, gotcha. So... So, yeah, I mean, Hartzell's the dean of the, the UT Business School, went to Trinity undergrad uh, there in San Antonio, is originally from Oklahoma, and uh, has been, he taught at, I think, NYU in business school, but has been the dean uh, for a few years at Texas in the business school, which has, you know, climbed the, the ladder, so to speak, from a uh, new U.S. News World Report uh, perspective, and uh, I have I graduated with a degree, a degree from McCombs as an undergrad. Um, and Texas has always been fairly competitive in business school rankings. Uh, but really in the last 20 years, it's, it's gone e even better, I think, and become more, uh, it's not Penn or uh, Northwestern from that perspective as a business school, but it's certainly uh, higher up than what it was. And I, I talked to several people that graduated from McCombs that have an MBA and they all are very high on Jay Hartzell as a leader uh, of that program, because frankly, his ability and what he, what that school is doing is improving the value of their own degrees. And they like that. So. 
Well, um, and I just checked the Regents' agenda, so they do not have uh, a meeting this week. It looks like it might be next week. Okay, got it. Uh, but, um, yeah, Jay Hartzell, keep your eye on that. Is it next Wednesday, though? I think so. Yeah, I that think, makes sense. Um, they, they haven't posted the agenda yet, but that's what I had heard last night. Um, of course, Texas Today comes out, confirms our report uh, that, indeed, Greg Fenvis will be, his last day will be June 30th, and he'll start it at Emory on August 1st. And and so, um, you know, really, that's that's where we are. And so I guess he got over the coronavirus. Well, his, yeah. <laughs> Life, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, that was. I guess that happened. He's having a rough month for a guy who's uh, allegedly just uh, had his salary doubled uh, to go. Somewhere. I was going to say. I mean, don't don't say he's having a rough month when you're getting ready to get paid two million a year. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a big one. Yep. Uh, but you know, we've seen when when Texas is not aligned, and and Steve Patterson. You know, was the byproduct of that probably the worst? Um, 22 months felt like 22 years with him as athletic director. And you know, the key is just to maintain this this uh, you know leadership that I think Texas Texas athletics is getting from Del Conte. Because as you said, Bobby, the guy is taking on more facilities uh, upgrade, renovation projects in two and a half years. Than the lost odds did in his last fifteen, so yeah. it's uh, it's been impressive, and and those construction pro- projects continue throughout this uh, pandemic. Yeah, I I think that look, I think the board is going to support athletics. Um, so ultimately, whoever the president is will likely be that'll be a. a a preconceived or a prerequisite, so to speak. And so I, I don't know that it's going to be uh, that big a deal. I really, I just don't chip, but uh, we'll see as long as, as long as Del Conte feels like he's getting the um, support he needs, then I, I think that that good times are ahead for Texas athletics. Yeah. Yeah. He just kind of got it. And, uh, and he was always, uh, an open I think Finvis, but I, I think Finvis was told to get it. So don't. <laughs> that's partly mine. Well, he observed. He, he yes. observed the Game of Thrones uh, <laughs> massacre of Delos Dodds and Mac Brown. So he knew how important athletics. <laughs> that, that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I don't think I think this the 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 notion that those guys don't understand that you can say political football, but that's what it is. Right. And so if they don't understand that, that athletics isn't a piece of that in that role, then they're probably not the right fit for that role. Well, and you just don't want an ego clash, right? Like, right. Or, yep. you know, some wild card politico getting in there. I always get worried when there are politicians involved in higher education because they, tend to treat it like a public office where they make all the rules and they're the they're the big dog and it's all about them and their decision making and how smart they are and we've seen it i mean we saw it get nasty between rick perry and and bill powers and 
And look, David Bourne was no picnic for Joe Castiglione at OU. So, um, you know, we'll see. It, it, uh, it, the one thing it's been, it's been harmonious. They've been able to green light projects, and those projects are going. But, um, Bobby, let's talk a little bit about uh, the football team. Denzel Okafer um, was in the transfer portal. He's back out of the transfer portal. And your thoughts on on the uh, fifth-year senior-to-be? Well, I think, I think that's good. I mean, the offensive line depth is the one thing that Texas, um, on the offensive side of the ball, that you had to say, hey, is this going to be okay? Because they're, they're losing a couple of good guys. And, and I, think that, I think that Okafor coming back is, is good because I think he's going to end up being either starting right, right tackle or right guard. And from there, uh, it'll allow some of the younger guys to, to be placed in more or less immediately and less emphasis on them. Uh, I also think that Denzel can be a tremendous run blocker. I mean, I really do think he can be from the, the right tackle spot. His issue has been pass pro. Uh, and so uh, we'll have to see how it goes. But, I mean, a fifth-year player, really, uh, that's coming back, I think that's a, that's a positive for your team. Texas, um, look, this this uh, pandemic and the, the inability to practice and carry on like normal um, has to benefit the teams with the most returning players, right? I mean, in terms of leadership and just knowing what to expect uh, from, both from the players' standpoint and from what you know the coaches can expect of those players, knowing what they uh, can do on the field. It has to help. Oklahoma State has the most returning starters in the Big 12, but Texas. And they, hey, right Chip, and, and I want to interrupt you here. You're right, and I agree with you, except Texas is changing scheme somewhat on both sides. Right. And right. so Oklahoma State has all those returnees and isn't changing schemes, to my knowledge. Right. So that would be the the – you're exactly your line of thinking is exactly where I would go with it is that, look, they're returning, you know, almost uh, 20 guys that have started um, at some point. And Texas has, has got to that, but they don't have this familiarity with a new offensive guy. Uh, and then, frankly, the defense is, is going to be complete, not completely different, but it is not going to be Todd Orlando's defense. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, I think. Um, and what do you make of Tom Herman saying that they were able to install the, you know, revamped offense, the new defense, Chris Ash's defense during winter conditioning? Obviously, when they're, you know, just in shorts and t-shirts. Well, I think that that's good, and I, I think that it was kind of expected. Um, I just don't know how much of it actually can get done unless it's at real football speed and that that's where that's the difference right is is i can do a walkthrough every day but that walkthrough is going to be different whenever it's you know 100 miles an hour compared to you know two miles an hour in the in the slow zone so i I feel like that's probably uh the issue and there will be uh there absolutely will be uh some uh, baby steps that need to be taken before they can run. Yeah. Um, well, Bobby, what else stands out in terms of where uh, where Texas football is and and what shape it'll be in uh, 
if and when we get back uh, from this pandemic? Well, you know, I'm just I'm excited for the first time in three weeks or month, maybe that there actually seems to be some good news on the pandemic front, if that makes sense. And I know that sounds horrible and some idea, some aspects with so many people passing away. And, and we've even got guys that are, that we work with chip that are having this issues, not at horns 24 seven, but across the network. And, you know, just being deluged with so much negative news over the past month of death and now they're talking about hey well maybe all this social distancing is actually having an effect and it is flattening the curve so that when people do go to the hospital they, they'll have a a fair shot at it you know what i mean as opposed right. to this this um just death and just it's just horrible to think about but my point is that the idea that we're even contemplating a football season right now is good news because two weeks ago it felt like everything was shut down for a while you know what I mean? And so uh, to your point, maybe football happens in January. You know, you talked to some ADs that said that might happen. Uh, it might happen in October. You just don't know. Um, and all that being said, I'm up for anything, really. Uh, and I'm just happy that it seems like as a country, we're, we're and the vast majority of things are going in the right direction right now from a... Uh, from a pandemic perspective when for so long they weren't so any thoughts on Vic Schaefer coming in as the uh women's basketball coach I love it I mean I I win you know I'm tired of you saw what the Texas softball coach could do in a year yep um it's time for you know and I'll say this the women's soccer coach needs to get This is just ridiculous. I mean, Texas is a hotbed of youth soccer, female soccer, women's soccer. And Texas is mediocre at best on a year-in, year I mean, maybe last year they did okay, but, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Got people that underperform in the minor sports. They have no, absolutely no reason to underperform at Texas in in the minor sports. None. Like zero. And Angie Kelly um, got a contract extension from. I, um, I, I I just can't. It's it's so. It's so, and so I'm just tired of of that. I mean, I was tired of it when um, when they sat there and and would run out a, a new track coach that wasn't really competing at the national. It's just a bunch of it, you know. And so. I think Texas is uniquely situated in, in that regard and should be able to compete at every, uh, I call them minor sport, but really non-revenue sport uh, that there is. And even though women's basketball certainly generates some revenue and has a proud tradition at Texas, the last 10 years, have, really 15 years, have been less than ideal. So. Yeah. I, I like what we've seen from Chris Del Conte's hires up to this point. You know, Edric Florial uh, coaching track. He had both the men and the women in the top 10 um, in the outdoors last year after both finishing, you know, way outside that uh, the year before. And the women win the Big 12 this year. The men finish third. He's got the track program headed in the right direction. Mike White, the softball coach, had Texas number one softball America's poll. And, and then he hires Bruce Burke, who 
stepped in for Michael Center uh, as the men's tennis coach and and helped lead the Longhorns to the national championship last year. And then you bring in Vic Schaefer, who's been to the national championship game twice and and thinks his team last year that lost in the Elite Eight to Oregon out in Oregon was probably better than both of those two teams that got to the championship game. That team last year led the nation in scoring margin, 28 points per game. So this is a guy who knows what uh, what winning basketball looks like, feels like, and and there's a culture to his program, Bobby. This is this is something I've been clamoring for on the men's side for five years. This guy, you feel his his you know the physicality, the the tough-minded physical play, the man-to-man defense that his teams play, and. I'm excited. I, I mean, he he said when he got to Mississippi State, he told the fans, you come to one game, you're going to want to come back for more. And then they ended up with 6,000 season ticket holders. So this is a guy who knows how to put butts in seats. He's he's good. I talked to Scott Strickland, the athletic director at Florida yesterday, and he's the one who hired Vic Schaefer at Mississippi State. And he said, this guy gets it across the board. He's great with players, parents, um, you know, the other coaches at the school and the media and he is confident and his confidence uh, rubs off on others in the department. So that's, that's good news. Yeah, no. And I think, I think that's what, that's what's needed. I mean, I I really feel like um, a rising tide lifts all ships. And so if it's easier to replace one springy leak than eight springy leaks, you know what I mean? And, and yep. I think that you have to you have to go one by one and do that. And it takes time. It's not going to be overnight uh, as uh, underperforming coaches get get uh, pushed out. But it has to happen eventually or else you're going to just be sitting there uh, with non-revenue sports underperforming. And that there's absolutely no reason for that. You want everything that the University of Texas does should be in the one or two in the Big 12, period. There's there's no reason why it's not. Sometimes things are hyper-competitive and it, it gets that way, like basketball or, or football. I'm not talking about the, the revenue sports. I'm talking about the non-revenue ones. And so if you don't get that out of your, your team uh, and your coaches, then they're missing the mark, period. Yep. Well, listen, you always hit the mark. And great job on the Greg Fenvis story. And what's the game again? Um, oh, Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride. <laughs> All right, there who's, you go. The master, who's the master of Ticket to Ride in the uh, in the Burton household? Uh, I got to say me. I got to say me. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, yeah. hold, hold down your crown. You know it, man. You know and, it. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk soon. All right, Uno. I'll see you. Right, there, he, there he is, the godfather, <laughs> dropping some Uno on the way out the door. Bobby Burton in the flagship podcast rolls on. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Chip, you kind of touched on this a little bit in the opening with Texas hiring former Mississippi State women's basketball coach Vic Schaefer, who uh, saw a lot of success with the Bulldogs after he took over there in 2012. You talked to him this week when he held his teleconference after it was announced that he was hired to replace Karen Aston. Give me some quick hitter takeaways that you have on Vic Schaefer. Well, um, so he's super tough-minded and and obviously helped Gary Blair win the national championship at Texas A&M in 2011 before going to become the head coach at Mississippi State in, in 2012. He was hired by Scott Strickland, the athletic director now at Florida, who was at Mississippi State at the time. And Scott Strickland told me that he got an unsolicited call from Jackie Sherrill recommending that he hire uh, Vic Schaefer. And Jackie Sherrill, who coached football at Mississippi State and, and A&M, you know, just uh, thought that he had the right kind of fire, intensity, passion, desire to be great, and, and you know, while still being able to get the player buy-in. And the thing that stuck out to me was Jackie Sherrill saying he took three-star talent at Mississippi State and AM and made it into five-star talent. And that's that's what you want to hear. Um, and then um, he beat Kim Mulkey twice in eight years at Mississippi State. He was two and two against Kim Mulkey and Baylor, whereas Karen Aston was one in 18. So including the one of the wins over Baylor was in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four, where his Mississippi state team played UConn and beat UConn to end UConn's 111 game winning streak in 2017. Um, They went on to the national championship game and lost that game, but beat Baylor in the elite eight and beat UConn ending that 111 game winning streak in the final four. And his father was a Colonel in the army. So the toughness, the discipline, you see where that came from. His mother was a delivery nurse. And his sister, his only sibling who's 14 years older than him, Elaine Baldwin, is a teacher. And she was his first grade teacher. And he said that she gave me my first C, (laughs) which gave me my first butt whooping by the colonel. Oh, that is classic. How about that? Oh, my gosh. That is too funny. And as good as they've been uh, defensively, and he, he jokingly he, he said, because I asked him, I said, what did you learn at Mississippi State that you can apply to Texas? He said, now, Chip, we're not just going to sit back there and play 2-3 zone and play hope you miss defense. 
we're going to pick you up and man at the city limits. And then we're going to show you the door when you leave. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, he took their attendance from three to 400 people at games when he got there to 6,000 season ticket holders for women's basketball. Wow. And Texas basketball averaged 3,600 um, fans at games last year. So, I mean, 6,000 season ticket holders at Mississippi State for women's basketball. And he said, we're going to do the same thing here at Texas. You know, people just need to, he said, if you come to one game, you'll want to come back. And, and that's what you want. You want a guy who just breathes fire and everybody can feel it. And, uh, and so I, I, I think people are going to really enjoy what, uh, what Vic Schaefer puts on the court. Right. Oh, oh and last thing, his team has has been ranked in the top 10 in scoring margin each of the last four years. And he said his team last year in 19 was better than the teams in 17 and 18 that got to the championship game. That team in 19 lost to Oregon and Sabrina Ionescu out in Oregon in the Elite Eight. But they led the nation in scoring margin beating teams by an average of 28 points per game all year. Jeez. So he, he he puts an exciting brand of basketball on the floor. Well, and another thing is he backs it up too. You know, he is coming to Texas after winning 78% of games as the head coach of Mississippi State. He leaves the Bulldogs with a 221 and 62 record. That works. Yeah. Well, listen, everybody, appreciate the time. We uh, we always enjoy it. And if you're not an annual member at Horns 24-7, I mean, this is the perfect time. You got you got some time on your hands. And uh, why not dive in to the 24-7 Sports Network? Of course, hang out with us at Horns 24-7. Get all the scoop, like the, the Greg Fenvis reporting, the Tom Herman story about his father. Uh, but also... Get VIP access to every team site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And we've always got specials running for you. So um, get over to Horns 24-7 and uh, become a member of the family. And Taylor, thanks for everything that you do. You're the glue. Um, And let's do it again next week right here on the Flagship Podcast. Until then, everybody stay safe and keep the faith. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.